So uh, in my line of work, um, I work with people. Sometimes I come in early in the morning, and I'm warning, yes, sometimes when I get people up in the morning at the hospital, and they've just previously, probably 12 hours ago, had a knee surgery or whatever it is, the first thing they want to do as you get them up is what? Yeah, lay back down. (laughs) That is true. There are firsts for everything. Before you pray, before you eat, you usually will pray, right? And they're just in order of your, your day. Think of when you get out of bed, what do you always do first? When you, get, when you get, start getting ready for work, what do you always do first? And there's, there's some firsts that we have, and they're important. Um, it, interesting, I was reading when the settlers were just settling the West, they used to come, and the first thing they would do is they would burn an acre of ground kind of close to their, their place. As we look today at, at the message out of Colossians 1 before we uh, start our series on, on Psalms, I want you to recognize that there is a first, and that first is there whether we choose to recognize it or not. And so in, in light of the, God's word, out of Colossians 1, we're going to look at um, what does it mean to follow God and how does that play out in my life? And so uh, it turns out the nuns, and I keep looking over there, but uh, I want to throw Snickers, but that's against the rules, okay? So I was going to go grab them. There, there are the nuns today. You know what the nuns are pertaining to church? They're the people who don't want anything to do with religion, and they're growing. It says that there's, the statistics say from Barna, that 30% of the people don't have anything to do with religion, don't want anything to do other in, in America, and there are about 30%, they say, they're, that are Catholic, 30% that are Protestant, 10% they're something else. And I don't know how to make of all the statistics, but the most important thing is there are a growing number of nuns, and I don't really want uh, to kind of, I guess, maybe conjecture as to why that is, but maybe it's because of the fact that people don't realize what's first, what's first in their lives. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is first in my life? And as we look at Colossians, we, we will see kind of a, a real powerful statement that God has given us as we look at the whole idea that God has an order of things, and that order of things is so important. And when we fall in line with the order of things, our, his purpose for us is fulfilled. In Charles Coulson's book, The Faith Given Once for All, he, said, he shares this truth concerning many in the mainline denominations, not all of them, but in many in the mainline denominations. They say, he said, when doctrine and truth are abandoned, when the authority of Scripture is denied, you do not get liberal Christianity, for it is now not Christianity at all. And so when you use the word that's liberal Christianity, really maybe that's not even Christianity at all. Maybe it's something completely different. And so when we can't keep our eyes on what's true and what's first, it keeps us on track. And when we deviate from that, we get usually a man-made religion of some sort. And it's all about Jesus. Colossians 1.13 and 14, I'm just going to read through this short section. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins goes on in, in, in 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One of the things you recognize as we read that passage is, is that we are, re- we are rescue, actually rescued from darkness. And so in Colossians 1.13, it starts out by saying that Jesus is our rescuer. We sing that song, he's our rescuer. And sometimes maybe we're singing those words and we don't necessarily think about it, but he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And most of us don't think that we were ever in darkness. We actually think, well, there was kind of before Christ and then there's after Christ. And if you're in Christ, you just see it from that perspective. But in reality, we were in darkness. And the fact that we came out of that darkness was was due to God's work, His Holy Spirit, tugging on us and tapping on our shoulder and appealing to what's inside of us to help us recognize that we are in darkness and we can't do anything for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. That's the darkness that Jesus pulled us out of and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we just, after a while, it's just like, I'm forgiven. And I, just in, in a small group on Wednesday night, Great discussion, um, and so we had this a couple of people who are fairly new, and one of them just said, "I just can't believe that the, my forget my sins are forgiven, and it's just and it's just that easy." And I, and I appreciate that perspective because after a while, what happens is we start thinking, "Jesus paid for my sins, and and that's it." And it is true that Jesus pays for our sins. And this person went on to kind of say, because he's just starting to kind of understand what grace is, and he's stuck in the worldview, which is incorrect, that you have to work for your salvation. And it just can't be that easy. He just could not get it through his head that it can be that easy. Our forgiveness of sins. And so coming out of that darkness into an understanding of what truly is to have eternal life. And he's, he's two weeks Two weeks a Christian, brand new Christian. And as he as I was sharing with him, it was very clear that he was stuck on works, much like most, almost all of us are, that we have to somehow be good enough before we can come to God so that he will, he will then accept us. When all along, truth is, is that we'll never be good enough because we are in darkness and he accepts us the way we are and then he works on us through the process of sanctification to bring us closer and closer to his image of the, of the Son, Jesus, who we follow. So the question is, is, why should I make Jesus first in my life, in my work, in my family, in the, the relationships that I have, in the church, in the community? Why should, why should Jesus be first? What's the reason? Why should he be first? And the, the answer to that question really is, is probably a little more deep than we recognize because we, we don't really think about it from what God's perspective is. We, we always think about it from, from our perspective. It's kind of all about us a lot of times. And so as we look at uh, Colossians 1, just recognizing that this is God's perspective on things. Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God. Some people say, I've never seen God before. 
I remember as in our farmhouse, as you're walking through it, and, and no one's walked in it probably for 10 or 15 years now, the end of the hall, there was a picture, and it had a kind of a, it was kind of a, a piece of roughly, rough, rough wood that was kind of framed in, and in the center of it was a picture of Jesus. And so that was my image of Jesus for 18 years. I thought, that's, that's what he looks like right there. And I just, just kind of locked in. That's what Jesus, in, in my mind, I kind of think of him looking. That he's got long hair. He is kind of got a white, dark, I mean, a tan complexion. And that's who Jesus is to me. But not really. Because now I understand and know who he is. And I don't just see him for his appearance, but I see him for the things that I have read in his word that describe him to me. And the reason why someone can say, I have seen God, is this. They know Jesus. Have you read, have you read the, the red letters before and thought to yourself, wow, is God really this way? Is this really the God that created uh, the heavens and the earth and that was in numbers and people were dying left and right and there's judgment here in Sodom and Gomorrah? Is that the God that you think of? Jesus is the exact image of God. And so, and Jesus made it very clear that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when we see Jesus and we get to know Jesus and we read about him and we have a relationship with him, we are getting to know God in a very personal way. God gave us this gift, the ability to actually relate with him in a very unique way. And I get to know God best by getting to know Jesus best and making him first. Jesus is, a, is the revelation of God. And so this is, I mean, who, who in the Old Testament saw God? Who saw him? In his full glory. <laughs> okay, yeah, you could say, yeah, no, I see, nope, nobody. Even, what did Moses have to do? Yeah, it was not the full thing, was it? And so we recognize that God is, is just so big that we can't see him, and yet God allowed us to see him in a very personal way as he came down to the earth in human form. John 14, 9 says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He was talking to his disciples. They're like, show us the Father. And he's like, man, I am right here. I'm right in front of you. You missed it all. It's like sometimes I remember, and this is uh, Tim Tebow. Uh, Tim Tebow's mom was speaking, and it was a K-Life event. And, and uh, LaDonna, my wife, she's, she, she's just so friendly. And so she's going through the lines as we come through the entry. And hi, hi, hi. And this lady comes up to her, hi. And oh, good, no. And she kind of talks to her a little bit and visits. And we got, <laughs> I don't know how far we got in there. And she goes, now, who's the, who's the keynote speaker tonight? And, and I said, well, you just shook hands with her. It's Tim Tebow's mom. And I just realized you can meet someone who is very, very important. But if you don't know it, you might overlook that. I was introduced to Jesus when I was 19. Didn't know, I kind of knew a little about, bit about Jesus, but I didn't actually get to really meet him. I came to know him at 19. Some of you, by God's blessing, has, have known him since you were little kids. What a, what a huge advantage that is, for sure. But you recognize that you get to know him and you understand who he is because of your relationship with him, how long you've walked with him. That's who God is. That's who the God of, of Genesis, and all the way through Malachi, 
you get to know that same, same God because he is the image and the revelation of God goes on. He is the firstborn over all creation. A lot of times, the firstborn is what? In, in, the, in the Bible, the firstborn is what? Privileged. They receive what? More of the, more, more of the share of things, usually. And, and you recognize that that's probably true, but this isn't actually talking about the firstborn in terms of birth order. And there's always books on birth order. Firstborn doesn't mean that here. And even in, if you look in the book of Genesis, uh, we've been studying through this, and Austin, Austin can tell you, that the firstborn doesn't always get that. It was Abraham's firstborn did not receive, he was not the special one, was it? Because that was Ishmael, wasn't it? And then it was Isaac, actually. And if you go down and you recognize that Esau was born first, but who was the one who was chosen? Jacob. And then you go down even to Joseph. Well, even think of Jacob, Jacob's sons, Reuben, not the first one, Joseph. And so you recognize that it's not always. It's the preeminence or the most important one. And so God is first, he is firstborn over all creation. And that means that he is preeminent. He is supreme over everything. Jesus is the firstborn. And he was before all creation, and he will, he will be forever and ever because he's eternal. The firstborn should be glorified. And, and because of this, Jesus, Jesus, God has set Jesus, the Father has set Jesus here. And we are to glorify him, and we are to raise him up, and we are to make him the, the one who's first in our lives. And so it talks more about rank and, and position than it does about birth order when it's talking in Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created. When I, if I asked you who created, the, who created your son or who created your daughter or who created those beautiful trees, you would say God. And you would sometimes in my mind when I was a little kid, I would think it's God of Genesis. It's God the Father who did all the creating. But Jesus was there the whole time, actively part of creation. And John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. You see something? If, if it's created, through him, all things were made. Jesus was a part of creation actively. He is the, he is the perfect example for us to see God in action. All things have been created through him, and for him. Now, Jesus is actually, that last, the last two words is, are really important. I want you to read those. For him. All things are created through him, but they're created for him. What does that mean? When you recognize that, as, as a parent, I think as a parent, you, you recognize when you have a, a child and, a, and, and the baby's growing up, you just, you just love this, this little being so much. And in a way, you created that being. And, and, but at the same time, in some ways, that being is, is for, for your purposes, your joy. You find great joy in your kids. Jesus finds great joy in his creation. And it was for him. So when you see the beautiful creation and when you, when you see his prized possession in creation, which is what? Which is the mountains, right? No, it's summer, but it's not the mountains. It's what? It's you. You are his prized possession. He is, over all creation, we are his prized possession. We don't deserve it, but we are. 
and you recognize that for him we were created. We have a, not only a purpose that God actually predestined us for, but we actually have value because of that. Really important point because creation is for Jesus. What did, Jesus, what did they say when Jesus was riding in on the donkey? He said, if the crowds are silent, what will speak? The mountains, the rocks. Creation will glorify him. Creation was made for him. It was to glorify him and, and to just to see the number of, I mean, billions in, of galaxies that have billions of stars. Each one of those stars is a sun of who knows what. And you realize, wow, why was it created? To go, Jesus is that powerful? Because everything in creation, Jesus was involved in. Who created those billions of galaxies that have billions of stars? Jesus did. And you realize, whoa, my picture of Jesus is him whittling away at some kind of a table in, Jews, you know, in Nazareth or something. He's, he's got this dining room set he's putting together. That, that's not the Jesus that, we, we picture that because that's maybe in the Sunday school books. And you think Jesus, and he, and he is, he's gentle, but he's very, very powerful. And the question is this, if you have, if you were created to glorify Christ, that is a perspective that is so different than I just happen to be here because of some chemicals came together and we have enough time and all of a sudden we have living people, living animals and out of those animals came myself. Now what purpose do I have if I was the result of a sequence of accidents? Absolutely no purpose whatsoever. That's one perspective. The other perspective is, I am part of creation that is for him to glorify him. Amazing perspective when you just see how, much, how important that is for us to recognize who we are. God's purpose for my life. What is your purpose for your career? So a lot of you, are, I've been out of school and you're sick of it. You're sick of Zooming. You're sick of watching your TV, your, your teachers on TV. And, and, and if you're in a career and you have to wear a mask all day long uh, and you're just sick of that too and you're ready to throw that in the trash possibly, not that you're sick of what, what it represents, protection of, of things, but just the hassle of it. You realize, wow, there has to be more to this. Why are you in the job that you are in right now. And ask yourself this, why are you in the relationships that you are in right now? Why are you in the church that you're in right now? What is the purpose of your life? And if that isn't clear, think of first. What's first? What's important? Because if my career doesn't line up with what I was created for, and if my relationships don't line up for what I was created for, then I probably have things off base and I'm not looking at first. My relationships should represent some way, in some way a glory, a glory be given to Jesus because my relationships are a part of why he created me. My career is too. My family is as well. My church is as well. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of him, one of us. The question is this. Did God know that you would be born in 1967 or whatever your year is? 
And the answer is, yes, how do we know that? Because we just read that, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. He determined the times and the places and the pe- where we're going to live and the boundaries. He, he determined all of that. And so if he knows that about us and he has this in particular, uh, we talked about this in, 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 in just a, about two or three years ago, well, maybe about four years ago now because time flies, there's an upper story and there's a lower story. And the lower story is, is Sean's life and my life and, and Bill's life and Tina's life. And, and, it's, and it's our own little world uh, and how we serve Christ. And it's the lower story. And at age 19, my lower story changed dramatically when I came to know Christ uh, personally. And ever since, it's, it's just grown in different ways. But there's also an upper story. And that has everything to do about our lower stories. But God's upper story is his plan to redeem all of the people who he loves so much and I my part of my part of the that my lower story and Sean's lower story and Bill's lower story and LaDonna's lower story and and whoever your lower story is a part of his upper story imagine what it would be like if we didn't if Paul's lower story was just removed from the whole history if Paul never existed how would that change how you and I come to know God's truth You'd have to remove how many books? Quite a few. Quite a few. And then you recognize that it's just not about Paul. It's about what, what if Billy Graham never lived? Or what, even more than this, what if Billy Graham never came to the point where he went, ah, you mean God needs to be first in my life? And I need to serve him all the way to the very end. And the same way with Paul and on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden there was a change, a precipitous in his life that changed their, his life from there on out. And he made first his priority to follow Christ. And so our lower stories have a big part of his upper story, the redemption. He chooses to use us. Not that he needs us, but he chooses to use us. And our value and our worth is eternal because God has chosen us individuals. And we don't grasp it like, wow, we're just like, man, I'm just the schmuck. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm whatever. I'm so broken. I'm so this. I have so many things that I'm, you know, I struggle with. I struggle with doubts about the economy. I struggle with doubts about this. I have, I I struggle with different things in my life. And you realize God still what? He still loves me. And he still wants me, and he still wants the people who are involved in my life to to also grow and to help grow me. And you realize, oh, God is fully invested in me because I have value and worth that's beyond this this world. What What brings God more glory than probably anything is this. When we spend our time with him in worship, Think of, a, think of the, the, the relationships you have, maybe some of the people who are most important to you, closest to you, and when you have a chance to just spend some time visiting with them and, and being with them, and then to just realize that God has that same desire to have that relationship with us. And as we spend time with him, in his word, with his people, in worshiping him like we did this morning, that brings him glory. That puts him first. He's like, oh, you're, you're wanting to come to me. And so first really means putting him first in terms of our relationship with him. He wants to know me intimately. God was a God way out there before. Now God is a God who I walk with and I have a relationship with. And when I have struggles, I can go to him. And when I have things that I celebrate, I can go to him as well. 
It's a relationship. It's not a, it's not a religion. It's a relationship for sure. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things. Not a big surprise for those of you who have been going to church for a long time. When, did Jesus, when was Jesus created is the question. And the answer to that is, this is a math question. He was never created. And this is the problem that many religions have because they want to make Jesus lower than he really is. And therefore, he is more attainable for them. And that's a cult because you're taking Jesus and making him into something he's not. You're taking away his deity. Jesus has always existed. Just wrap your mind around that. Go back to the very, very beginning. No, a little further. Go back to the beginning, beginning. Now go a little further. How long has Jesus been around? Forever. He's eternal. He's eternal. And so because that, he's not created like the angels. And when Paul was writing to this, this, this church in Colossae, he was, he was defending the fact that Jesus was not on the plane of an angel. Because angels have existed for how long? Not forever. Who created angels, by the way? Who? Jesus did. Thank you, Chance. Who created angels? And if you think about Jesus creating angels, you realize they were to serve him and to serve God as, as uh, angels are just for that purpose. And he has always existed way before angels ever came about. He holds all things together. And I know we can go into big details about this, but the fact that this whole thing, you've heard of entropy, you've heard of things. I mean, just how many of you own your houses? Raise your hand, those of you who are here. How many of you own your house? Okay. And Carla, she's brand new, so she's got a brand new house, and so hopefully this won't happen to you. But what ultimately happens to your house? Bill, Bill, what ultimately happens to houses? They fall apart. They fall apart. They do. They require maintenance, don't they? And we recognize that that's just the normal kind of entropy of houses. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the image of God, exactly, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The reason why you and I hold together, why our, uh, this whole world holds together, is because of Jesus and you can get into this a little more, but according to one scientist in the Fermilab, which is a lab that has an accelerometer and some different things they can test things, they have these so-called God particles. And I remember the first time being exposed to this, I was at MSU as my junior year. I was in thermodynamics, and the, we had a real, he was just a real hard-nosed teacher, and he used to just kind of just slam things down on his huge assignments at the end of the class, yeah, and do this and this and this, and so you're just writing frantically. But at the end of, end of this one class, he said, hey, yeah, there's an appendix at the end of your chapter. I want you to read that just if, if you want to. It's kind of interesting. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So I flipped to it just to see what he's saying. And guess what was on? Exactly this. It's the Colossians principle. What is the Colossians principle doing in a thermodynamics book? It was called the Colossians principle. I was like, that's a book of the Bible. What happened here? And you're just looking at it going, what is, the, what is going on here? And guess what it says? He holds all things together, and they don't know why. You can talk to whatever scientist you want to. They call it the God particle, and basically, there is no explanation for it. You can talk about strong forces all you want. They're looking for it. They're still looking for it. But first, he was the creator, and he holds all things together as the sustainer 
but not for long. 2 Peter 3.10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done, done in it will be laid bare. You realize Jesus holds all things together, but there is going to be a new earth and a new creation that we get to look forward to. Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body of the church. Thank heavens. Okay. So I do not want anyone else at the head of the church other than Jesus. Do you know why? Because there are no perfect beings that could run the church except Jesus. And so Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, we have a board, and, and they are filled with godly men, and, and that's separate. And then we have elders who are godly men, and the board is just sort of part of the whole machinery of the, of the government. You know in the Bible, the only time that you'll ever find the word board is following a shipwreck, literally a shipwreck. Boards don't hold the church together. Who does? He sustains all things, and he is the head of the church. And you want to be in a church, and if you're in a religion that doesn't have Jesus leading you, I would say we got a lot better option for you right now because we have a perfect, someone who's never been created, but who is the creator, who holds all things together and has a love for his church. And he has, his whole purpose is to bring more and more people into it because he wants them to experience the grace that he has to offer and he is the Lord over every believer who worships him. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. As Jesus ascended and got his new body, guess what we are promised? We are promised a new body. He is, a, he is the firstborn among those who will, who will uh, in the end, receive our new bodies and become much like him. And then it says that he receives, so that in everything he might have the supremacy and he is the first, he should have first place in every relationship and families. In our church, he should be first in everything. He should be the first thing we do because God has made him his exact representation for us. This is always true, and you'll see this. Where someone's heart is, that's where their energy and their focus and their time and their resources will go. Your time, treasure, and talent will always go wherever, you, wherever your heart is. So if our heart isn't placed in the correct first place, then our life can be kind of misused in a way. It, it, we, and so what happens is, is we're supposed to be one thing, and it turns out that we go a different direction, and we don't fulfill what God wants for us. Our lower story is, is not what God wants for us. And so we need to be very clear on where our heart is and what our priorities are about, because he has to have supremacy in our lives. That's who he is. And then verses 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 2.19 in the next chapter, Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And so as we get to know Jesus more, we get to know God, who, who is, is, is the person who deserves first place in our life. This last uh, Wednesday at small group, um, the Keller Baker small group, 
Um, we had a new person there, and, and it was really neat. And she, she was asking some really good questions, and I could tell Ben was kind of picking up on some things and, and, and just answering those things. And one of the questions she had, or one of the kind of the comments she had is, well, how can I know when I, when I deserve? How, how can I know I deserve God? Or how can I know I deserve heaven, is what she was really saying. And the, this whole idea that, that, that Jesus is everything and, and that he is the supremacy and that he, we owe everything to him, it kind of just begs the question is, well, you're never going to deserve it because Jesus deserves everything. And we don't deserve heaven. It's not how we come to God. It's not how we come to know God. And, and just understanding that is so important. And for her, Jesus was, was kind of the way to kind of maybe a guide in a way for her, her to know him more. But it, and as she had come to know him a little bit more in a, in a, in a personal way, uh, maybe coming up to this point in time when she came to small group, you could just tell that the spirit was stirring in her. It was very clear. Well, she was there first off. Her dad asked her to be there, but she was there. And just recognized that she was very hungry to know who God was. Who is this Jesus? How do I deserve him? Was one of the questions she kind of had in her, in her heart. And it says this in Matthew 16. Jesus said this to his men, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And this young lady didn't, had never made Christ her Lord. And, and after sharing with her who Jesus is and her sins and, and everything and, and recognizing that she is sinful, no trouble with that, recognize all that. And she just came to the point where she was like, wow, I just, I, you know, I, I just, I guess I'll never deserve him. And I said, you're never going to deserve him because of the fact that you are a sinful person and you will never overcome that. And, and there's the first man, Adam, and there's the second man, Adam. And so first, the first Adam is the one who, who brought condemnation through sin. And the second man, Jesus, is the one who brings redemption. And Jesus became real in her life as she came to know him. And understood that it wasn't because of what she did or how, how, how much she tried, but because of what Jesus had done and what he had accomplished because he is the preeminent one. And the question I have, just as we are kind of wrapping to a close, is, is he first in your relationship? Is Jesus first in your relationship? Do the people you talk to know that you care about Jesus, that that's an important part of your life? Does it have an influence? Is, it, is he first in your marriage? Is he first in your work, your career, what you do to pay bills? How about your pursuits, the things that you kind of do when you have time to do them? How about your finances? Is he first there? Is he first in your daily plan or your calendar when you start, start out your day or maybe how you end your day? Is he first there? And is he first in your relationship with God? What do I mean by that? There's a great chance that someone who is listening right now has never, ever made Jesus who he is, which is the Lord of life. Just like this young lady had never come to that point in time, there's someone who's listening right now. And if you have not done that, I just want to encourage you that there's, there's this process by the Holy Spirit, and it's, the Holy Spirit allows us to see our sins. We need to admit that we're a sinner. And if you can't see your sins, you, you just have to compare yourself to a holy God. And then all the things will come into clear, they'll, they'll come into clear focus that you, you don't measure up to someone who's perfect. And to have a relationship with this perfect God is, is necessary to have Jesus' blood 
that we need to believe that Jesus died and rose for our sins. And I talked about the crucifixion and the fact that that establishes the fact that our faith is a historical faith. And the fact that it actually happened makes us have to deal with the fact that, you know what? That resurrection is undeniable. So we need to believe that Jesus did rise from the dead and that he died for, for us in our place. And we need to commit to follow him, to really to commit to make him first in our lives as we, in, as we have a relationship with him. This is just a sample prayer, and, and this is a, a prayer that would express your heart. Dear God, I, am, I admit I'm a sinner in need of you. And this, at age 19, this is the kind of prayer I prayed. I, I stumbled and bumbled through it, but this is kind of what I, I, I prayed to God. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of you. Please forgive me of my sins and give me abundant life here on earth and eternal life with you in heaven. I wanted the gift of heaven. I wanted to receive that. I believe Jesus died and rose again from my sins. I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And then thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And someone, when someone gives you something really valuable that you can't pay for, all you can do is what? Say thank you. That's all you can really do. You need to just receive it and say thank you. Why should Christ be first in your life in closing? Because he's the image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. He's the fullness of him. He's the firstborn, not necessarily birth order, but he is the preeminent one. He's the creator. He's the focus of creation. He sustains creation, and he is the firstborn among, among those who are dead, but soon to be living as we are resurrected, and he is sufficient for salvation. Your works are not sufficient. I made the, use this illustration, and I'm just going to kind of give you this one here. This little lady was sitting on this chair, and I, I told her, I said, well, do you think that this chair, look, which looked exactly like her chair, would hold you? And she said, well, yeah, because it looks just like the chair I'm sitting on. And I asked her, are you sitting on it? And she said, well, no, because I'm sitting on this chair. And all the things that she was trusting in when she came into that conversation with, us, with me was me doing things to earn God's approval and this chair over here represents God having done everything, sufficiently fulfilling the requirements of God to fulfill, to, to pay for my sin. And I, as I said, you know, you need to transfer your trust, your weight, from what you're trusting in, which is your good works, and that you can kind of participate in the whole process of earning your, your eternal life. And you need to set all of your weight down on the, the chair of Jesus because he is sufficient for you. And as she did that, you could just see kind of the lights going, oh, I get it. I, I, I get this. Does anyone know why, the, why settlers used to burn an acre of ground close to their home when they would first come out west? Anyone know that? I think some of you might know. They would burn that first acre of ground so that they would have a safe place to go if there was ever a fire later on realizing that that would be their eternal security, if you want to think about it. And when we make things first in our lives, whether it's when we, we spend time with God or, or when, whether we show up for worship or whether we show up for a small group or whether we have relationships that are honoring to God, how we glorify Him, that's like taking that part and setting it a, setting apart for a safety place. Because when the storms of life come in, where do you go? When there's a fire, where do you go? When there's a, a loss of a job, a loss of a, uh, of a life, when there's someone who is sick, where do you go? You go to the place 
what's first and most important. And as we read the book of Colossians, realizing that this church had gone astray, we recognize that we have the opportunity to make him first. And I'm just saying this because it's now summer. So guess what? Don't make him second or third. We're going into three months where that mountain becomes more appealing than worshiping him. And all I'm saying is, he's worthy of your, he's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of our praise because he's first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. He is the picture of your, your exact representation. And through him, we get to understand who you are and how gracious you are. And through the relationship with him, we have a relationship with you. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to, to you but through him. Thank you that you've made him so approachable. Thank you that you've allowed us to read the red letters. Thank you that you've allowed us to see that, that putting him first is, is the most important thing and the most abundant thing that we can do in our lives. And as we approach this summer, I just pray that we would all make him first, that we'd still spend time with him, that we would see, create, see creation. And when we see that, we would, re, we would recognize that you're, you were first, the one, you were first, and you created all of these things, and that they point towards you and your supremacy. And we just thank you for that. We thank you that you are uh, the God of creation, that everything that we do, we see, everything around us is, is for your glory. And let's pray as we go into this summer season that we would make you first. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.